0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke and to chapter 11. We're studying verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 11. Last week we looked at just the first four verses, but it was the Lord's Prayer. This week Jesus continues talking about prayer, gives a couple of illustrations in verses 5 through 13 to amplify what He's just said about asking Father for various things. And so we're in chapter 11. We're going to read verses 5 through 13, and then we'll come back and talk about them. And He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And He will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for uh, an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to learn more about how to talk to you, the things that we should ask for, and your response. We want to be drawn in deeper and deeper to our love relationship with you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. And Lord, now we ask that you would attend our service from the point of view of bringing these words alive to each and every heart. If there are people here, Lord, this morning that are precious to you but have not given their lives to Jesus as their Savior, we pray, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. And for your dearly loved children, may we be set free, Lord, to worship you and walk with you and experience all the worthiness of your name in our hearts. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. Growing up, You never wanted to hear the words, just wait till your father gets home. You knew that something cataclysmic, maybe even apocalyptic was going to occur the moment he walked through the door and was informed by your mother. Almost as bad was having your mother redirect you by saying, go ask your father. You remember, you'd ask for something and your mom would suddenly have a stunned look on her face that let you know she couldn't believe what you just said. Go ask your father really meant no. Now, Jesus had just given his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer. It was really a model or a pattern for them to follow when they prayed. It was a form for prayer rather than a formal prayer. In the verses that immediately follow the Lord's Prayer, the verses that we have just read and are studying, it's as if Jesus was saying, now go ask your father, except that in this case, you want to hear those words. They do not mean no, but they mean yes. Look at the first example where the friend goes at midnight to ask for food. The answer is yes, and he is given all the loaves that he needed. And then look at the second example in verses 9 through 13. You ask, and again the answer is yes, and you are given the Holy Spirit to fill you. When you go ask your heavenly Father, the answer is yes. Why then does Father seem to be saying no to so many of our requests? The answer to your asking and receiving a yes is in these two small stories Jesus told. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, ask and Father will give you bread to feed others. And number two, keep on asking and Father will give the Holy Spirit to fill you. First of all, in verses five through eight, ask and Father will give you bread to feed others. Do you see that? First of all, do you see that the friend goes to ask for bread, not for himself, but to feed someone else. It's a small but very significant point, sometimes overlooked in this telling of this story. Jesus was telling his disciples, and he is telling you, to go ask your father for the needs of others. Then set before them whatever he provides you to give them. Let's work through the verses to see how we come to that conclusion. And so verses 5 and 6 again. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. People often traveled in the evening or at night to avoid the intense heat of the Middle Eastern day. Hey, I'm old enough to remember doing this in Southern California back in the day when, uh, you know, cars didn't really have air conditioning. Who can remember that? Four or five of you at least. <laughs> and uh, we lived in the high desert. San Bernardino is considered the, the low desert and then the high desert of Victorville and all that. And man, if you had to go anywhere, you waited until the cool of the evening and you had those weird water bags you carried with you. Do you remember those? They, they were like a canvas bag that you filled with water and they, they were always on some kind of cheap rope. And, you know, you carried extra radiator water because your car was bound to overheat. My 65 Mustang overheated just in the garage without the motor even being on. It was overheated all the time. So, so this traveling at night is not such an unusual thing. One such weary traveler arrives at his friend's house. It's midnight. It seems he had come unexpectedly, but that did not excuse the host from exercising hospitality. Showing hospitality was more than just a common courtesy in their culture. The way you showed and even showered hospitality upon guests, whether invited or unexpected, was a measure of your character. Your reputation was at stake. As Rocky Balboa once said, they don't remember you, they remember the reputation. So put yourself in the story. You're a poor family living in a one-room structure that also serves as the barn for your livestock. You and your family are all already asleep. Now you're in the same home, but you're not all in the same bed. I just want to point that out. The words here mean that you're all sleeping under one roof. Uh, your family, your livestock, everything you own is in for the night. You went to bed thankful that God provided your daily bread, but you have nothing left over. There's a knock on your door. You answer it, and it's a friend on a journey. Regardless the time, regardless your poverty, regardless your lack of bread, you must show hospitality. When was the last time you ran out of something that seemed trivial in the middle of the night, and just went next door and knocked on your neighbor's door. Some of you, you know, you don't always sleep through the night. I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty sound sleeper. When I go to bed at about 8 p.m., <laughs> no, I'm I, I really, I, I'm dead. But um, there are other people, you have trouble sleeping. And sometimes you get up and, and, and maybe you get up in the middle of the night and, and you're just, you know, there's a bagel. And you think, I'm going to have a bagel with cream cheese to settle my stomach or whatever. And so you grab the bagel and you toast it and no cream cheese. What's up with that? And so you think, well, no problem. I'll just throw my robe on and go next door and then knock on my. What? Hey, you you got any cream cheese in there? I was talking to one of the guys afterwards. They said, man, if you do that, you could be shot. Instead of hearing what, you'd hear the racking of a shotgun. And so you just don't do that kind of thing. And see, this is a problem reading this story because we don't do these kinds of things. Even if a friend of yours shows up late, you've been expecting them, but they're 65 Mustang overheated coming over the grapevine and now they get in late and they say, man, would I love to have a bagel with cream cheese. And if you don't have cream cheese, you're not going next door. You don't say, oh, yeah, hey, hang on. You just say, well, hey, I'm sorry, we don't have any cream cheese. You should have been here on time. It's a very different culture that we live in. In fact, you might not even wait up for them in our culture. They might have to sleep out in the car. But, but, so it's different. So I want you to think differently. I want you to put yourself in the first century and understand this situation. You must bear in mind that the situation Jesus was describing was, in fact, an emergency This is a social emergency. Your reputation was on the line. You would get up and go quickly to your neighbor to ask for bread. The disciples would see nothing unusual about this. This kind of thing happened all the time in their culture. Now, verse 7 and 8. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, our understanding of these two verses is critical to properly interpreting the story. When we read them, we add our own biases. We think of ourselves, as I just did in modern America, bothering a neighbor in the middle of the night for a few trivial pieces of bread. But as we've already said, this was far more serious. This is like dialing hospitality 911. I mean, this is is a crisis of social proportions like you and I don't understand. The real sense of these words, a better reading of them in context, you probably caught that by the inflection in my voice because there's a question mark at the end of them. Here's the better way of interpreting these. It's as if Jesus is saying, guys, do any of you even for a moment think that your friend won't get up to help you? What Jesus is saying is, can you even imagine that if you went to your friend's house needing bread in the middle of the night that they wouldn't get up and get it for you? that's the real sense of what he's saying if you understand their culture it would have been a social catastrophe for the sleeping man in his household to refuse to help he would never be able to live it down his family would be ashamed of him and they would be shamed publicly so you see the point of this story is not at all that the friend wouldn't respond unless you kept knocking and screaming like crazy outside the door The friend is more than willing to respond. Now, this is a very different reading than we usually have of these verses. And so I want to stop and answer the two concerns or maybe even complaints that you might have. First of all, in verse seven, doesn't he answer from within and tell the friend outside that if he gets up, he'll disturb the whole family? Doesn't he try to get rid of his friend? Well, no, not at all. Not really. First of all, it's what I explained. The sense of the words can be translated as if it were an exaggeration. Uh, In other words, can you even imagine this? It's interesting. It's a parallel to the verses that are going to follow about the father giving his son good gifts. Jesus says, can you even imagine that if your son asked you for an egg, you'd say, hey, yeah, here's an egg. (laughs) Take this scorpion. Well, you think, no, it's the same parallel in the first part. There's no way that your friend is not going to get up. Plus, think about this, and this is why we really have to put ourselves in these stories. Again, this was a simple one-room dwelling. I'm sure it was smaller than this room that we're in right now, but let's say for the sake of our illustration that your one-room house is the size of, of this room, And your animals are all in sleeping with you and your children are bedded down and you and your wife are asleep and this is the only door. And it's midnight and and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. Now listen, who heard that? Did you hear it in the back row? Did you hear it in the front row? Probably you have a guard goat that heard it. Well, you know, some of you have animals, you know, those of you who have animals, I mean, some animals are sensitive to things like that, and they don't have to all be dogs. Uh, we had a dog, Kobe, Kobe the Wonder Dog, we called him, and Kobe used to like to lay by the front door, and about 10 seconds before somebody would knock on the door, we, you know, you can't hear people coming up, but about, he'd be laying there, and he'd go, <laughs> and he'd look around, he wouldn't bark, he would just go, Woof. And we'd know somebody, we'd say, hey, watch this. And then there'd be a knock on the door. And so animals are sensitive to these kinds of things. And so the animals, once the guy's knocking on the door, the animals are going to be disturbed. Your children perhaps are going to, the whole household is already disturbed by the knock on the door. And then there's some kind of conversation going on. Whether he's talking through the door and you're talking back to him. I think rather the householder got up and opened the door and they're having this conversation because obviously you've already disturbed everybody and and you're, you're wanting to meet the need of your friend. As I said, it would be social suicide to lay there and say, get away from my door. You're going to disturb my house. Just get out of here and act like you never came. And so that's not what's being taught at all. Now, second, in verse 8, doesn't it say that it was because of persistence that he will rise and give him as many as he needs? Sure, it does. But persistence doesn't necessarily mean persistent knocking. We read that into it. Scholars will tell you that the word itself means shamelessness. Persistent means shamelessness. And they agree that it can apply to either or both of the men in our story. In other words, the man seeking bread at midnight did so to save face and not be ashamed. And the man who rose from his bed at midnight to give him the bread did so to save face and not be ashamed. The story is not teaching you that if you will be persistent in knocking on heaven's door, that God will finally get disturbed enough or see how serious you really are and be obligated to. To answer you, it's teaching almost the very opposite that God is more than willing to give you bread when you ask for it. Think about that for just a minute. The whole analogy of God as your heavenly Father. You ever take a trip with little kids? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, you don't get to a point. You don't just sit there and think, oh, how wonderful it is. My children are so persistent. I love it. Now I see how much they love me. Now I see how much they care for me. I'll actually feed them today. Now, no father is like that, and our heavenly Father is not like that. He's not waiting for us to you know get a battering ram and come against it. I know you're in there, God. I have a need. I'm going to show you how serious is it. Bam, bam. I'm not going to give up until you, bam, meet that door. Gabriel is like, man, would you help this guy? I can't take it anymore. I can't sing. I can't sleep. It's not like that. It's silly to think that way. God is more than willing to give you the bread you request. When you go ask your father, the answer is yes. Okay, so why does father seem to be saying no? No. To so many of our requests. There are a lot of answers to that. But in terms of our story, let's look at it this way You're the man who has no food left over. So the first thing will you admit your poverty? Will you humble yourself and admit that apart from God, you have nothing to offer anyone? It's a very important first step. Because I found in my own life and the lives of others, we think that we have a certain wisdom or insight or uh, resource to offer other people. We sometimes think we know what to say to people almost before they ask. And so we often we don't ask our Father in heaven to provide any bread. We just ask Him to bless whatever we're going to set before them we hear of a situation we think well i'm going to go and talk to that person this is what i'm going to tell them god i want you to bless that or this person's going through this god this is what i'm going to do i want you to bless that and, and we we really have to have the absolute humility to say i don't have the slightest clue what to do i have some biblical ideas because I studied the Bible I know the character of God and the nature of God I know right from wrong I know those kind I have a framework but in terms of what to actually say to somebody what they actually need I don't know and it's a very important first step to getting what we need in terms of bread and then all the people you know all of the people you know in a sense are on a journey at night their life on earth is a journey during which the Lord wants to reveal Himself to them, either initially so that they will come into the family of God, or afterward, after you're a Christian, that you will know Him better and better, day by day, becoming more like Jesus Christ. But on earth, it's always night, it's dark in the sense that this world is dominated by sin. Sin has brought disease and disaster and death. And so sooner or later, your friends will have a midnight experience for which they come to you seeking bread. You go ask your father. Only in this case, his household is not a poor one room dwelling with a few guard animals. His household is heaven. And he is over the earth. He can and wants to give you all you need to set before your needy friend. And so the question becomes, what do they really need? Most often what they really need is spiritual, not material. It is a spiritual bread or a spiritual food. Now let's get practical with an illustration of our own. Someone you know suddenly gets sick along their journey. They come to you or you hear about it. You go ask your father for what they need. Do you assume that it's a healing? A lot of times we do. If it is, your father will show you and he'll give you the gift of faith and gifts of healing. More often than not, it is spiritual strength and firmness that they need in order to endure the trial, even unto death. If that's the case, then Father will use you to set that spiritual food before them. Earlier in Luke's gospel, a paralyzed man was brought to Jesus. Instead of healing him, Jesus looked at him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he went on to heal the paralytic, but only to show the people there that he was the Son of God with power on earth to forgive sins. He knew what the man needed. I, I'm going to go out on a limb, but I'm going to guess that none of the ones that brought the paralytic and nobody in that room was thinking, hey, here's a guy that needs the forgiveness of his sins. They're all thinking, here's a man paralyzed. Let's see if Jesus will heal him. And Jesus says, wow, man, this is fantastic. Look at the faith. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, that's a disconnect. And he heals him almost as, a, as an afterthought because he needed the spiritual healing first and foremost. Now, I don't know about you, but this reading of these verses sets me free to enjoy talking to my Father in heaven. It relieves me of being a brat child, always disturbing heaven with my continual request. Here's what it does. Somebody comes and they have a need and I pray about it, and then I get discouraged because God doesn't meet that need. Why doesn't He meet it? Because I think He should meet it a certain way. I think the person should be healed. I think they should be helped. I think God should give them money. Or whatever it might be, I have my own expectation about what the Lord needs to do in their life. And then I feel defeated as a Christian. Maybe I'm in sin. Maybe I don't know the Lord. Maybe I don't know how to pray. Because nothing I pray for seems to be coming to pass. All the time my Father in Heaven is saying, I've got bread if you'll just put it before them if you will humble yourself and realize that you don't have the slightest idea what they need and when they need it, you don't know what I'm doing, you don't see how I'm conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ, taking them from glory to glory, just ask me and I'll tell you what to say to them. I'll tell you what to give them. And if you'll be obedient and do it, you'll see them grow and be strengthened and be blessed. And we'll all be on, as we say today, the same page in terms of our prayer. This is what Jesus is saying. Now these next verses introduce a new topic. They move away from this illustration and give us a new topic where we see that you keep on asking and Father will give the Holy Spirit to fill you. Your Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Let's think about that for just a moment. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God and when you become a Christian, God the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. So if He's already in you, why are you supposed to ask your Father to give Him to you? The only answer I can see is that you need a greater experience of His presence and power in your life. Again, we receive the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. He comes, God lives inside of us. It's fantastic. But there's something about our humanness where we want to do things on our own and we're not constantly aware of the gentle sweet presence of the Spirit in our lives seeking to direct and redirect our thinking and there's a lot of our Christian life that is just us doing what we think we ought to be doing for God rather than waiting upon God and so we are to ask and seek and knock as we'll see for more of a sense that the holy spirit is in our life his presence his power and so i say to you verse nine ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open now these are all talking about what he's going to say in verse 13 he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The verbs used in these verses mean to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. In other words, there is a continual process of maintaining an awareness of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit moment by moment throughout your day. Uh, I guess one way of looking at it, it's not enough to get up in the morning and say, Lord, be with me today in Jesus name, amen, And, and then go through your day. Uh, not having an awareness of your continual need for the Lord. And so there's a a constant need. There may be a progression in these words, but I rather think it's just three ways of saying the same thing. Usually we look at them and we think you, you have to ask, and then there's no response, so you have to seek and there's no response, and you have to knock because there's no response. In other words, God again is in heaven with His arms folded saying, I'm, not, I'm going to hold back until I see how sincere you really are. And it's, it's just, I think, absurd to picture God that way. Because He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. So the idea is that, hey, just ask the Lord. Or in another context, you might say, well, let's seek the Lord on this. Or, hey, let's knock and see if the door would be open for the Holy Spirit. And so it's just three different ways of saying the same thing. And I think that because the point Jesus seems to be making is that your Father has no reluctance at all in giving you the Holy Spirit. He's not holding back until He sees how serious you are. He wants you to ask and then by faith believe Him and receive the Holy Spirit. You must ask or seek or not continually because as I've said, as humans we have a tendency to think we are sufficient in ourselves. You are promised that the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. And to reinforce this promise so that you'll believe Jesus, he tells another little story that you can't misunderstand. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? This would be similar to parents jokingly saying that they sent their kids out to play on the freeway. <laughs> do you ever say that just for fun? Oh, where are the kids? Oh, they're out playing in the road. I sent them out to play on the freeway. The only reason that's somewhat funny is because everyone immediately recognizes that you would never do that. It's absurd to think you would do that. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Just like an earthly father would never give a son who asked for bread. A stone, your Heavenly Father is not reluctant to give you good things. If you ask, and especially for more of the Holy Spirit in your life, He will give Him to you. Now there may also be a whole separate study here about spiritual counterfeits. It's been pointed out by many commentators that a stone looks like the kind of bread that they would bake in the first century. They didn't have these wrapped up wonder loaves like we have today. You know, Wonder Bread with carbohydrate information and all that. They, they, they bake these little simple loaves that could be mistaken for round stones. In fact, the devil, remember when he tempted Jesus, he said, turn these stones into bread. And there was a resemblance almost. I guess a, ser- a serpent could be mistaken for a fish. They're slimy and all that. Or that the Middle Eastern white scorpion, when it's all curled up with its tail sleeping, it's look could look like an egg. Now for sure, many things are passed off as being from or about the Holy Spirit that are really false and fleshly displays. A lot of times people say, oh yes, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon us. He's among us. And, and there's lots of weird things. I've talked to you over the years about many of them. We're kind of in between them, so you can expect a new one here anytime soon. The last one that I was familiar with was the, the uh, you know, laughing and barking like a dog thing that was happening in, in certain revivals where people were receiving the Holy Spirit and laughing uncontrollably for hours at a time. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho. you know just they would be slain in the spirit falling over and they would just laugh for hours and hours and then others were making animal noises barking like dogs could you imagine a church service right now gene comes up we close the service anybody want the holy spirit come forward ah! now, you and i laugh but this was a serious thing that was happening in churches all over america how do you know the holy spirit is there Either. Uh, some howling going on, some holy howling, you know, and, and it was just crazy. And so there's a big study in here about spiritual counterfeits, how that sometimes people ask for the spirit and what people tell them is the spirit is just some scorpion that's going to sting them later on in their life when they really need to know his presence and his power. Imagine, you know, you, a church service where you receive the Holy Spirit and you go out barking like a dog. And then you go home and you're confronted with some tragedy, some emergency, something that, you know, that came into your life. Are you going to sit there and say, you know, can you imagine, I do death notifications for, you know, for the Lamore Police Department. Can you imagine a, you go home and there's a policeman at your door and, and a chaplain, and they say, we have some bad news for you. And you just say, roof, roof, roof. what are you doing? I've got the Holy Spirit and I'm just barking at this notification. What are you talking about? I don't know. But it seemed, seemed reasonable at church. But it doesn't really seem like it helps me now, does it? It's empty and shallow and false and counterfeit. And what I really need is the presence and the power of the Spirit. I think sometimes people think I like to just make fun of this stuff. I do. <laughs> but it's for a reason. I, wouldn't, I don't make fun of it just to have fun or throw in some humor. This is deadly serious. You cannot have counterfeit God. You need to have the real thing 100% accurate because your life is a mess. You might think you have a good life, but you don't. There's something coming. No one leaves the planet alive. (laughs) At some point, you're going to confront some kind of a problem and you're going to need to know God as He is revealed in Scripture, not at some whacked-out assembly where the church got together and told you to bark. And so... More to our application, however, uh, the illustration suggests I see a sense of fullness. The father gives his son what amounts to a three-course meal. He gives him bread and fish and eggs. Your father in heaven wants you to have a sense that your ministry to others is filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not your wisdom or insight that you are setting before them as spiritual food, but rather those things that are suggested to you by the Holy Spirit as he influences you and as you yield to his influence. And I've told this to you many times before, and I don't think you believe it, so I'm going to tell you again. A lot of times I have no idea what to say to people. It blows my mind. My wife sometimes or my kids, they'll say, hey, this person is coming in and they have this need or this problem. What are you going to tell them? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. You mean you don't know what you're going to tell them? You don't know what you mean that you don't know what you're going to tell them. I "I don't know. I don't know. What kind of a pastor are you? I'm a pastor that doesn't know. And sometimes I don't know. I don't know what to say. to. I don't really even think a lot about what to say. I think about the Bible and I pray and I think, okay, Lord, you know, this is where I'm at. I've been a Christian this many years and these are the things I seem to know. So I hope that that is helpful. And when the person comes in, I'm just listening and waiting and listening. And, and there's part of me that thinks, okay, oh, they mentioned a key word. I've studied that subject. Here's something I can say. And A lot of times I have to just say, oh, let me just listen more. Not to what they're saying, but to what God is saying. And sometimes, you know, I'm all confident that God's going to tell me what to tell them. And then he doesn't when they quit talking. You know, God has a sense of humor and it's like, I just want to show you how much are you going to depend on me? How long are you going to sit there quiet? I've had people sometimes look at me like, are you going to say anything? And sometimes I start stumbling. Well, you know, and this reminds me of, uh, and I'm just, and then finally the Lord will either not give me anything and I'll say, look, I I'm just, let's just pray together. I don't have anything to say to you, which is terrible, I guess, but it's from the Lord. More often than not, the Lord will give you a direction and he'll tell you what to say. And you know, it's so important that we wait on the Lord because sure, okay, this is a marriage problem. This is a divorce problem. This is a child problem. These are all these things we can categorize, but only the Lord can discern between the soul and the spirit. Only the Lord knows what that person needs to hear. And if I have all of my answers and I'm ready for every possible situation. Then what I'm giving somebody is human wisdom, even though it's biblically based. And what they need to hear is what the Lord has to say to them, which will, of course, be biblically based, but it will be more pertinent, more powerful. And so we have to wait and ask the Lord. And so, you know, we're asking I'm sitting there asking and seeking and knocking even. Lord, I, it's, this is your, this is you, Jesus. You need to be here right now. You need to reveal yourself to this person somehow. I don't even know what I'm doing here, but please, will you? You know, I'm humbling myself. I, I, I I'm admitting I've got nothing to say. Use me, and I think that's the situation that the Lord is getting at. Verse 13. If you then, this is the whole application. If you, being evil, even the best among us are evil in the sense that we're less than God, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Do you see any reluctance there on God's part? Any withholding? Any refusal? You're a son. God is your father. The person in this verse is a Christian who is told that he or she can have a greater, fuller experience with the Holy Spirit and that you should keep on asking for His presence and power in your life moment by moment and day by day. You know, we need to forget our backgrounds and our biases and take God at His word. Some of us tend to be more conservative. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells us, but we're not really asking Him to be given to us to fill us. We think that our personal study and discipline are all that is required to live the Christian life. And so a lot of times, the problem with conservative Christians, uh, and not in the political sense, you understand, I'm talking about conservative when it comes to the the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, I I got the Holy Spirit when I was saved, and now I check in with God from time to time. And and so basically what happens with, with the conservative church is that we think, well, here's what we want to do. We want to grow and we want to do this and do that and have this program and that program and all of this sounds good and we're going to map all this out and then once it's on paper, we're going to say, now God, we want you to bless this plan that we have. We want this to happen over here, this outreach or this building or whatever it might be that churches do. We're going to do that. God, now bless that. And then there's so much fleshly effort to get it done. There's not enough volunteers, so you begin to beg for volunteers, and you begin to coerce people to volunteer. There's not enough money, so you begin to beg for money and coerce people for their money. Uh, and, and you go on through, and after a while, that becomes normal. That, that's like what church is. It's people begging and coercing and manipulating and intimidating you so that you can accomplish a spiritual goal. And then you do it. You get the program done, or you build the building, and you say, look what God did. And the truth is, God didn't do it. He might still be with you because He loves you, but He didn't do it. You did it. You did it by manipulating and coercing and and intimidating people. And so just say, look what we did. And, and, And we need to back up and say, Lord, do you want us to do this? Is this the direction that we should go? What is your plan for our fellowship and then we just want to follow that. Now, others of us tend to be more charismatic. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells us, but we only believe He has filled us if we speak with tongues or prophesy or experience some other outward experience of His presence. And so we become reluctant, we sometimes even refuse to tell people the things that they actually need to hear because they. Don't match up with our idea of God. There's this whole movement in Christianity the health and wealth and prosperity movement that looks at people and says, well, you shouldn't be sick at all. God has promised you perfect health. And so we're going to pray and confess your health and we're going to speak your health the way God spoke the world into existence. We're going to speak healing into your body. Don't come to me and tell me that you're sick. Don't say, I have cancer. Say, I do not have cancer. In Jesus' name. And then when it looks like you're going to die from cancer, when that didn't work, then they come and say, well, brother, sister, you just didn't have the faith, did you? Because we know that by His stripes you are healed. And so I don't know what to tell you. You're you're a failure as a Christian. You just didn't make it. You didn't break through. To what God had for you, and, and we're stuck in this weird kind of charismatic mentality where we can't receive bread from God to set before somebody and say, Look, you've got cancer and you're going to die. But guess what? The moment you die, you're going to be alive in the presence of God. It's going to be a tremendous homecoming. The angels are putting on their party hats, they've got their noisemakers. Let's make the most of your final days on earth. Who do you need to talk to? What do you need to say? What has gone undone in your life? Why concentrate on thinking you're going to be healed if God seems to be withholding that because He has a different plan? Neither extreme is true. You can and you should ask your Heavenly Father to give you the Holy Spirit. But His coming upon you is never to call attention to Himself or even to you. It's to reveal Jesus in a greater way to others by giving you the bread to feed them. Go ask your father. He will always delight to give you two things. Number one, the spiritual food that your friends really need to have set before them. And number two, the fullness of his spirit, so, uh, which you need in order to be able to set that food before them and have it Enrich their lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this look at prayer. And I pray, Lord, that it would set us free to come and talk to you more openly, more honestly. And Lord, it seems here that there is no reluctance on the part of our Father to give us what we ask for. And so I guess we're supposed to just believe by faith and receive that you've given it to us. And so, Lord, if it's a miracle, then we'll. We'll do it. If it's your word, Lord, to strengthen and, and, and just firm up a person where they're at with you, then we'll do that as well. I pray, Lord, that each of us would humble ourselves and have a sense of our poverty. That you provide our daily bread, but you really don't give us enough for others unless we ask for it but you're ready to give it to us when we ask in humility and I I just pray that we would look at people one at a time the way you did not as a category not as a group not as a problem but just one at a time and just wait on you so that Jesus can be revealed in their hearts and in their lives Lord fill us with your spirit we're asking for him now we're seeking him we're knocking Lord on heaven's door and believing by faith that we've received and I pray, Lord, that everywhere we go, we would spread more more Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. God is not reluctant. Not at all. He's greater than any earthly father. And he has these gifts to give you. Just ask him and trust that he's given them to you. And then be bold as you uh, distribute them to your friends on their journey through life. Some of our guys will be here after the fellowship is over this morning to pray with you or pray for you and to share with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You don't know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior. So would be a time to just come forward and admit your need. Just humble yourself and say, Man, if, man, if I died tonight, I, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be in heaven because I don't qualify. Can you help me? And they'll be happy to pray with you. May God bless and keep you this morning day, give you your daily bread and all that you need to set before others in the power and energy of the Holy Spirit. Amen.